Welcome to Conscious Youth Global Network Radio, a production of Conscious Youth Global Network, a network of youth and youth organizations with the goal of providing the education necessary for our youth to develop higher consciousness and create conscious content through the arts. And now, here are your hosts, Big Bye, Anejanima, and Dr. Leslie Clark. Welcome, everyone, to Conscious Youth Global Network Radio. We're here in our studios at the Carras Center in Los Angeles, and I'm here with my co-host, Big Bye, Hey, Anejanima. hey, hey, I'm, I'm, we're back again. We're Thanks. back again. It's good to see you. I'm glad all of our audience and our listeners can tune in to see what we're talking about tonight, and it is always interesting, and tonight we're doing something a little different, yeah. something that you suggested, mm-hmm. you kind of caught me by surprise, yeah, but I think it might turn out okay. Yeah, well, I thought we would um, spend some time talking to Big Bye tonight, so Big Bye is our special guest tonight. Um, many of you don't know all there is to know about Big Bye, and so... He has agreed to let me interview him, and we're going to find out um, amazing, amazing things. So thank you, brother, for agreeing <laughs> to this. So, so let's let's start out from the beginning. I mean, I you are now an, a, a father, a musician. Um, you um, are a community organizer. You're a coach and a counselor, and you run CYGN. You are the chief conscious music director you have many many hats um, and we'll talk about those and I want to go to the beginning so I want to learn more about Chicago you grew up in Chicago in the holy city and I love that yeah tell us about the holy city well the holy city is this particular area which is North Lawndale it was given this name the holy city because of all of the um, churches and within certain square mileage of each other um, in my neighborhood there was at least two churches per block almost um, so and the people who migrated to the west side of Chicago um, they came up from the south and during that time that side of Chicago was considered um, the most poverty stricken area so when there's poverty people need something to give them hope and latch on to and that's what the church provided so churches start popping up everywhere and it was you know such a a, a great coping mechanism mm. that was being utilized through religion um, and um, that's why it's called the holy city because there's probably within a five mile square radius it's probably 200 churches and so what church did you go to? Yeah, I went to a church in, in K-Town, which is just a three-minute drive from my house. Um, grew up in a church. My uh, my family actually founded the church that I grew up in um, and was a part of it up until my early teen years. So, you know, that was nothing different about my upbringing. Welcome to Conscious Youth Global Network Radio a production of Conscious Youth Global Network, a network of youth and youth organizations with the goal of providing the education necessary for our youth to develop higher consciousness and create conscious content through the arts. 
And now, here are your hosts, Big by Anejanima and Dr. Leslie Clark. Welcome everyone to Conscious Youth Global Network Radio. We're here in our studios at the Carras Center in Los Angeles, and I'm here with my co-host, Big Bye. Hey, hey, Cinema. hey, I'm, I'm, we're back again. We're Thanks. Back again. It's good to see you. I'm glad all of our audience and our listeners can tune in to see what we're talking about tonight, and it is always interesting. And tonight we're doing something a little different, yeah. something that you suggested. You kind of caught me by surprise, yeah, right. but I think that's it might turn out okay. Yeah, well, I thought we would um, spend some time talking to Big Bye tonight. So Big Bye is our special guest tonight. Um, many of you don't know all there is to know about Big Bye, and so he has agreed to let me interview him, and we're going to find out um, amazing, amazing things. So thank you, brother, for agreeing <laughs> to this. So so let's let's start out from the beginning. I mean, I you are now and a, a father a musician um you um are a community organizer you're a coach and a counselor and you run cygn you are the chief conscious music director you have many many hats um and we'll talk about those and i want to go to the beginning so i want to learn more about chicago you grew up in chicago in the holy city and i love that yeah. tell us about the holy city well the holy city is this particular area which is north lawndale it was given this name the holy city because of all of the um, churches and within certain square mileage of each other um in my neighborhood there was at least two churches block almost um, so and the people who migrated to the west side of Chicago um, they came up from the south and during that time that side of Chicago was considered um, the most poverty stricken area so when there's poverty people need something to give them hope and latch on to and that's what the church provided so churches start popping up everywhere and it was, you know, such a, a, a great coping mechanism mm. that was being utilized through religion. Um, and um, that's why it's called the Holy City, because there's probably within a five-mile square radius, there's probably 200 churches. And so what church did you go to? Yeah, I went to a church in, in K-Town, which is just three-minute drive from my house. Um, grew up in a church. My uh, my family actually founded the church that I grew up in um, and was a part of it up until my early teen years. So, you know, that was nothing different about my upbringing than anyone else. We were forced to go to church. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of church was it? It was a Baptist church. So Baptist. it was under the, the Christian mm -hmm. um, denomination. And did you have music? Oh, man, the, the music was the best part. <laughs> yeah, the music was the best part because once the, the piano and the organ and the, the guitar and the drums start going and, you know, it was a very lively, you know, musical atmosphere once they started singing. And I think, once again, it's not too uncommon in areas that were predominantly black people 
um, where they reside and the churches the churches rock mm-hmm. you know most of the the great songs that we hear and that have been recorded um, in blues and R&B you know most of them have this had to start in the church. Okay. I was you your know. early exposure to conscious music, right? Well, I wouldn't, I, you know, it's only after you experience and you learn really what conscious, quote-unquote, conscious music is that I look back in retrospect and I see it differently. I don't necessarily see it as conscious music. I see it as inspirational music. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a, a, a slight mm-hmm. difference there. So we're going to get to your definition of conscious music. Okay. But I want to hear more about your your family founded this church. So you have ministers in your family? Well, my mom is one. Yeah, my mom is one. And that was an interesting um, transition because we both went through our transformations at the same time when she started studying to become a minister. That's when I started studying the traditions. Um, and the, the African systems and of spirituality and the sciences. Mm-hmm. And my mom was, you know, going to the um, seminary, um, or I'm, I'm not sure if it was a seminary. It's like a school that they go to. And we both were going through it at the same time. And it was, a, it was very interesting. My house at that time and the conversations her and I would have, they were very interesting as well. And, um, well, let's talk about th- what led up to your um, getting into your new spiritual direction at that time. Tell, tell us about the years, maybe when you weren't so active in the church and you were a teenager into your 20s. What happened in those years that might have prepared you to, to take the direction you did take? Well, I had just left England. I went to England to pursue my music career as an artist. I've always been a spoken word artist. And I started taking my writing seriously um, in the mid-90s. And um, I left L.A. at the time. I was here in L.A. And I was I had two bands. And I was performing live all around. Um, but there was like a ceiling that I kept hitting. And I wanted to further develop and I wanted to get my music out there although it wasn't in retrospect again it wasn't the right music um, knowing what I know now that I would have wanted to push on the masses but nonetheless I went to England to pursue a career Um, I went over there with $120 in my pocket I didn't know anyone there (laughs) I had a one-way ticket and I was even homeless over there for a week or so and um, met some incredible people over there. So after being over there for almost a year, and um, I finally went to the embassy and said, hey, I'm a U.S. citizen, and I'm homeless, I'm broke. They had a ticket for me the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and I came back came back to the States the next day. I was on a wow. flight. Um, but then when I got off um, the, the, the L, um, in Chicago, we have the elevated train systems and the underground train systems. But the one that was near my house, it was the elevator train system. And I got off the train before I walked downstairs. I looked at my neighborhood. And I saw desolation. I saw um, desperation. I saw death. Everything looked dead. Same vacant lots. 
that were there while I was growing up was there still and now there were even more of them and some of the same um, um, stores you know liquor stores in the same locations they were still there and it's the same scene and I just I didn't know what I could possibly do but I felt like there was something that I needed to try to do to try to bring some life to my community I had no idea what to do um, so I went up to uh, my old grammar school that I went to which is only two blocks from where I lived and where my mom lived at the time and I met the principal and I introduced myself and I asked her if I can um, implement a creative writing program volunteer you know and she said yeah well um, the only time you can do that is in the morning and um, I doubt if the kids are going to come an hour early for that. And I said, okay, well, just make the announcements. Let's give it a shot and see what happens. And that's what happened. And after the first day, I had about maybe eight kids to show up. Um, but four days later, I had close to 50 kids. And it's the numbers started, kept growing and growing and growing. Um, so ultimately, because I did go to school and I, um, I got a degree, the principal asked me if I would teach. And I took over a fifth grade class. And it was cool because it was in the same classroom that I was in in fifth grade. <laughs> and I knew all of the parents of all of the mm -hmm. kids. And I lived in a community. So I would walk home from work every day and I would see the parents and their kids sitting on their stairs on their porches. And, you know, and, the, and when the, the kids saw that their parents knew me, it changed their behavior in the school. And uh, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. But at that time, as far as um, African, traditional African culture and spirituality, I was still not um, very knowledgeable. And I wasn't really seeking um, in that direction at that time. Spiritually, in my mind, I was still Christian-minded. And, you know, although I wasn't going to church, I still knew that there was, you know, a, a powerful divine force that was um, responsible for this whole thing we call life. Um, so, to make a long story short, because it can, it's a long story, <laughs> but to make Great a long story, story short, um, uh, a good friend of mine, Robert Irving III, who's an incredible musician. And also was, part of CYGN. And he's also a part of CYGN. Uh, he's Miles Davis. Um, music director, I think, for the last 10 or 12 years of Miles' career. Um, he became my mentor, and he started introducing me to different aspects of African spirituality, but not just African spirituality, you know, of systems from the East as well, and the Native American systems, and just all indigenous systems. He was the one who was introducing me um, to these things, so he became my mentor, and Many of his friends who were musicians, who were world-traveled, were also practicing many of those disciplines. So when they would come over to his house, I would sit around and, and talk with them and just hear some, like, some way-out stuff, you know, like, wow, really? You don't hear about these things. Do you, where do you remember some of those things? Like, what, what, what do you remember that you heard in those early years? Well, really I, well there's nothing specific that, that stands out, um, but... Um, just even as it pertains to um, the stars, you know, hearing, you know, some incredible 
um, conversations where I didn't know enough to participate in the conversations. I just sat quietly and listened. And it's like, wow, you know, I, you don't hear about those things um, in my neighborhood. You don't hear about them in the schools. You don't hear about them in church. Um, so it was something new for me, and it was very intriguing. And then one day, um, um, uh, Robert Irvin asked me, we call him Bobby. He asked me if I would like to come to a lecture that a, um, a Dogon comedic priest was given in Chicago who was just visiting. It was a group that, that brought him there. Um, and actually that group was, was the Washita, the Washita Nation. They brought him there. And the Washita is recognized as the oldest indigenous group here in the Americas. Um, and what is the Dogon? Well, the Dogon are a, a, a group of bloodlines that go back to the what we call what people know as the ancient Egyptian civilization. They were like the upper echelon of the um, Kemetic society. Kemetic just means black. Kemet is what the area called, that we now call Egypt. That's what it was known as. And actually all of the whole continent was known as Kemet. Kem, which just means black. And um, so the Washington invited him to come and speak and um, he gave a lecture and um, you know it went over my head honestly it went over my head I really didn't grasp the concepts because it was all new to me you mm -hmm. know but mm -hmm. you know I still nonetheless acknowledged that it was the great um, great information that he was sharing and little did I know the next day I would see him at um, Bobby's house and he would become my my teacher um, for the next um, 10 12 years before so how did that happen? You you don't know anything about it. You go to a lecture. You meet him. What what was? How did you embark on that journey? Well, you know, when I saw him in Bobby's house, um, I asked Bobby why you didn't tell me he was coming. He said, Well, he didn't know there was another um, friend that brought him by un unannounced, unexpectedly, and um, so they came in, and I said, Hey, I don't know who you are really but I feel like it's a lot that I can learn from you and from that um, I was a writer so after talking and recognizing what my interests and strengths were um, we agreed to start a publication so we did that and um, and that continues today right yeah but that publication is called that, that publication is called the rising firefly magazine but I don't write for the magazine right now but it's still but it's available it's available mm -hmm. correct and um, so from that point everything just kind of started happening um, as far as us spending time together and I literally um, he moved to Chicago he was staying somewhere else and I found him a place to stay and he came and um, I was pretty much with him every day of the week except maybe one day of the week I was not with him and all of the different um, conversations that I was hearing before I met him, now I started learning what was behind those conversations through what he was teaching me and ultimately um, started getting a big following in Chicago and the organization started growing and growing and now it's um, all over the place. Now. Well, tell us about the organization, which you led for how many years? Oh, well, I, I was part of the inception of it and they are still um, they're in New York West Virginia Chicago 
um, here in L.A. and in San Diego. And, um, and they're called the Earth Center? The Earth Center, correct. And um, they teach the traditional um, education of what we call um, the ancient Kemetic or the Kemetic society, but the ancient Egyptian mystery school systems. And that, that information and those schools of thought that came from the Nile Valley and the Niger Valley areas, that's the education. Um, that is taught um, within that school so um, and it's still growing um, so I was a part of that and uh, my teacher Master Naba he made his transition to join the ancestors uh, five years ago and um, yeah and it, it just you know it, it really was the catalyst that shaped um, where I am right now in my development mm. and I'm still growing and still developing and still learning um, but that aspect of it was something that I had never experienced before I spent a lot of time in Merita or Africa as most people know it and um, gained some incredible and had some incredible experiences well, Tell us some about your initiation I know at one point you told me that you it took many many years for you to fully learn and to be initiated and how challenging that was to, I guess, let go of some old beliefs and ways and, and to fully embrace this, this new way of living. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, you know, it's, un, it's not that different from any person who is going through a paradigm shift. You know, the same challenges of detachment, detaching from what you really held on hard and tight to, um, to be true, what you thought was, you know, something solid enough for you to stand on and embrace to use to cope with life, and when that is snatched from under your feet, <laughs> through logic, you know, through logic, what makes sense, you know, it's very difficult to um, ignore what makes sense, you know, and but it's, it's even more challenging, you know, when you have to make a choice to say, well, do I want to continue um, living in a certain way that don't make sense to me? It's confusing. I don't know and no one can answer these questions for me. I have all of these questions. Or if there was something that appealed to the intellect, and it's like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. It's hard to ignore that. Give, can you give us an example of, of something that was hard for you to let go of? Um, wow. Um, I think certain concepts. It was hard to let go of certain concepts. And even right now, um, I think there's still residue. You know, because I was in my 20s, and by the time you in your 20s your conditioning is so strong and so powerful um, but it's, it was more so the concepts because there's a lot of um, a lot of wisdom that comes out of tr the traditional cultures that um, that conflicts with um, your experiences in a non-traditional culture so you know it, it was mainly a lot of concepts um, family unit you know the family unit 
was one, just for an example. Um, my father's brothers here are considered my uncles, but in the comedic system, they're considered your fathers, which means your behavior is going to be different towards someone who you consider your son versus your nephew. Mm-hmm. If it's your nephew, at least the way that I was raised and what I've seen, if it's your nephew, in your mind, in the back of your mind, okay, it's still your nephew, you still love him, but he's not all. He's not really your responsibility because he has a father. So it's still up to his father to take care of him, you know. But in the comedic systems, that child is my son too. So the same way that I would take care of my child and look after my child, it's the same way I would take care of my brother's child and look after my brother's child. And when I saw that discrepancy in the community that I grew up in, it's like, wow, I can only imagine how, how, how much stronger, you know, especially our young black men would be if all of their uncles saw them as their child as well and invested the same amount of energy and time and wisdom and all of those different attributes that will help them to be high quality human beings invest those things in their nephew quote unquote so that was something that really um, I mean but it was it was it was challenging but in a very good way because now it gave me the opportunity to talk to um, the people in my community and, and share that with them but you know it's difficult to break that you know it's difficult to break that conditioning mm-hmm. is very difficult so that's just one thing for an example that um, that was you know interesting challenge you've shared with me that you met your wife your beautiful wife I shot through the center and um, and that you have the, this philosophy also has a little bit different perspective on marriage and the purpose of marriage would you share some of that well, in the, the traditional systems, the purpose of marriage is not based on how you feel about someone. It's based on the qualities you have and the qualities she has and what can be built if you bring those qualities together. It's not based on, well, I'm in love with this person, she's so pretty and things like that. No, it's based on building a very, very strong family unit where the family within itself is very strong and when you base it on how you feel about someone well, feelings change you're not going to feel the same way tomorrow that you felt yesterday in some cases you know how many times have we seen you know people at the altar looking at each other in their eyes and, <laughs> you know even a tear fall I just love you so much but then a year later two years later you know I hate you I never want to see you so it, it never really was. Right. It just right. So if you try to base something as sacred, really, as marriage, on feelings, then you know you you kind of um, putting your foundation on shaky ground. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's many marriages that last 60, 70, 80 years. You know, but I don't think those are too common these days. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the comedic system, it looks at marriage in a different light in that sense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know I haven't seen a stronger marriage than you two. Oh. Or a more beautiful family. Oh, Amazing. Oh. Amazing kind, family. 
Um, so how big is the Kemetic, um, it's not a is it a religion? It's not a philosophy? Religion. Yeah, it's not a religion. It's a spiritual system. And to say how big it is, I would um, be remiss if I did that because honestly, I don't know how big it is. It was one of the first and earliest recorded spiritual systems in the world. And it was the culture that introduced um, what we know today as all of these disciplines, astronomy, philosophy, um, mathematics, medicine, agriculture, medicine, music, agriculture, um, domesticated animals, plants, um, I mean, you name it, um, those schools of thought came from this culture that, you know, birthed all of these different approaches and perspectives to the sciences. Um, so to say how big it is, I'm not really sure, but it's not as prevalent as a um, as is, is Islam or, or Christianity. You know, those are the, the big ones, so to speak, um, because we see it every day. But with the, in the comedic systems, it's something that it's not put on display. You know, it's something that um, people practice. Um, and it's something that's sacred between the individual, um, his or her ancestors, and all of the gods. Um, so it's not really put on display. But I think more people, what I'm finding now, just from my conversations and dialogue with people from all different backgrounds, what I'm finding now is that more people are starting to become interested in that particular spiritual system. Mm -hmm. Everyone at some point that I've spoken with, regardless of their ethnicity, um, they all feel some kind of connection to what we call Egypt, you know, and Egypt is, you know, a place that um, right now is almost is void of the same um, systems that were there before all of the invasions happened and, you know, the throne was usurped by so many different people over the years it's a different kind of energy there but many people feel a connection there and it's not surprising you know mm -hmm. it's not surprising so yeah um and you're with conscious youth global network radio and i'm here tonight with Vic by my co-host who's being interviewed um so you mentioned plants and i know you studied herbs and the use of herbs to heal tell us about that yeah, you know, as a human race, I think when we lose touch with nature, we are on a, uh, it's like a, a, a time, like a how you set a time bomb to go off. That's what we did for ourselves when we separated ourselves from nature because nature, it provides everything that a human being would need in order to survive. Everything is there. You know, we, in traditional societies, I'm not that familiar with people who are dying from the same things that we're dying from in the quote-unquote modern world or civilized world. Um, nature is exactly what it is. It's, it's who we are. It's what everything is. So through um, healing and learning um, the different herbs that perform different uh, functions in the body. It was an amazing thing for me. I mean, something as simple as the common cold, you know, growing up, I mean, 
it was either you take cough syrup or you take some throat lozenges or you know something like that but there's other simple recipes you know without red dye number with, five in it <laughs> yeah yeah without all of the you know the, um, the things that can be harmful to the body so just something just that simple um, and knowing how to remedy that and even learning how to read the body and when the body shows something to look beyond what the symptom is and you look enough for the source and to know how to navigate through the body to find these things out it was amazing for me and um, I think it's something that if we get more get back to that you know we'll put the hospitals out of business <laughs> and that's why it won't happen because it's so much money that's being made in medicine nowadays and it's really based on painkillers and antibiotics and it's just chemical copies of things that they find in nature anyway right right and you spent a lot of time out in nature out in the bush studying these plants and herbs and so do you still do this do you still do healing and prescribe herbs for people well i haven't um it's been a while it's been a while um the access that i had to um different herbs um i don't have that access um but it is my goal in the future um, to continue learning more so I can be more effective um, as a healer and add to um, what I have been exposed to thus far. Tell us, so you, you're interested in music early and you wrote early and, and you've been through this journey with music and then your healing and learning and growth and back to music. So tell us what brought you back to music and what you intend to do with your music. Yes, it's interesting because it all came back full full circle. Um, I was uh, a spoken word artist and um, I had some small um, notoriety and some, um, I was able to pay some bills doing my spoken word, but my content wasn't something that would be found useful outside of the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) so you know and and I mean I I was a um, uh, that's the type of poetry that I wrote Um, but it wasn't vulgar you know but it was you know it was a bit you know um, forward or blunt so to speak Um, but then after I came into um, my uh, apprenticeship of the African systems or the comedic system, um, I stopped writing for about four years because when you know better, you should do better, you know, and our approach to development is if you know something, you should reflect what you know. So if it's a situation where you did know something, okay, but now you introduce something that's even better. So now, based on what you know, your behavior should change. And in my in my um, experience, it changed my message. So for four years, I was just staring at a blank page with a pencil in my hand. Um, I couldn't write anything. And I didn't want to write anything that would misrepresent um, what I have learned, had learned up to that point, and what I was still learning about myself and the world and just how important it is when you offer something 
um, and especially if you have a platform to offer something, that's a gift, you know, and that's something that should be honored. And I didn't want to dishonor my gift by giving people um, useless um, lyrics and useless content that wouldn't go beyond, you know, just an immediate kind of fascination. You know, I was always inspired by messages that um, taught me a little bit about myself and taught me something about the world. So going through my spiritual transformation, it wouldn't allow me to, you know, come any less than um, on, a, on a higher level of content um, to have an effect. Now, one thing that I know about people, and especially my people, where I grew up is everyone loves music but when you don't really have options you're going to gravitate towards whatever is available you know even if it's just for the the rhythm and the beat and that's what most people listen to music is the beat nine times out of ten what they're what the artist is saying you know they kind of you know it becomes white noise and people just listen to the beat because we we, we have that rhythm you know that we like to express that's part of who we are, it's a part of the entire existence, everything happens on rhythms, the sun coming up, the moon, the tides, all of these things happens on rhythms, so, and expressing that, you know, we like to latch on to something, even if the content is not conducive to, you know, what we might want to see, you know, um, but nonetheless, it shaped um, my content and my writing, and now, I'm using the music as a vehicle to teach. You know, I, 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 I have have been a teacher um, for um, the last uh, 10 years. I've been teaching and I'll never stop teaching. And we are all teachers. So there's a responsibility that comes with being in a position of a teacher. So the music now is, has become the vehicle um, to get the ears of the youth and that's my goal that was the reason why I started learning and started my apprenticeship in the traditional systems with so that I can learn what I needed to learn and while I'm learning I can now transfer that knowledge to the people that need it the most that I see and saw every day who were struggling just to maintain and who were almost like in this void of, of, of hopelessness and I wanted to be able to come back and say, hey, no, look, there's a different thought. There's a different way of thinking. There's a different way of seeing things, you know, but I had to learn it myself first. Mm -hmm. And as my learning happened, it continued to grow and it is still growing and developing. Now I'm saying, okay, how can I reach those same demographics? I can't talk to them in a certain way, like if I go and give a lecture somewhere, you know, if I start talking to them about spirituality, you have to know your audience. You have to know the people that you're speaking with. And if not, you're going to talk over their heads and they're going to miss everything. So I said the most fundamental thing that we can all come together on is music. And that's one thing that we all love is music. So if I can use this music to reach those youth, the same ones that are dealing with all of this chaos, that are victims of the society that we live in, and, you know, the, 
things that are the result of that is the high levels of incarceration, you know, drug abuse, all of the ills of society. You know, I don't need to go into that. Everyone knows what those ills are, but that's a direct effect of being disoriented when you have your identity snatched away from you and every generation that come lose even more of it and more of it, you know, that leaves someone very vulnerable to whatever the society dictates and whatever the society wants them to become. And this is something now that through the music, um, I want that to be a vehicle to stimulate thought, to stimulate dialogue. You see, the second song um, I did was about strippers, you know, because I think anyway in my limited, in my small mind that our women are the most powerful spiritual force on the planet and you know without them you know there's a saying that the woman the man is the head of the house but the woman is the neck and it's the neck that turns the head <laughs> <laughs> and and but you know for different circumstances or whatever the reasons may be there are far too many to to, to to speak on but that bothers me you know it bothers me to see our women up on the stage and, and, and it bothers me to see money being thrown at them. It bothers me. Um, and this is something that I, 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 I speak out on mm-hmm. through my music. Mm-hmm. But it's not anything that is in judgment, you know, mm-hmm. because there's many reasons why, mm-hmm. you know, our sisters are doing it. Many reasons why. It's not a judgment. But it's something that I don't condone. And I would be against. I would like to see them you know off the stage but you know looking royal as queens the queens that they are and that changes the society if there's certain things that are just not tolerated you know and you know so it changes the dynamic the dynamics of the society um so in the music i try to talk about different social ills spiritual ills things that um really play a big role and you know shaping the society and the music is that vehicle tell us the name of those songs and um about the other two um well conscious music was the first song which it kind of speaks for itself you know i think there was a a time where conscious music was um at the forefront of music we had um, brother jay from x clan on um, a show that we did previously and he was a part of that movement you know artists like X-Clan KRS-One Chuck D Public Enemy um, and wise intelligent and poor righteous teachers Um, you know conscious music was at the forefront and that's when music was it was fun you know it was fun so um, that one speak for itself I think there is still many many conscious um, artists that are that are still recording music, but it's really on the underground now. And I think if we can find a way to infiltrate the mainstream with that, I think it'll start to change the dynamics, even of the the, the artists who are not necessarily uh, recording and selling um, conscious music. I think you know if it makes sense, you know I would like to you know um, even collaborate with. Um, some of those artists just as a project hey I know on your records up to now it's been all about the money it's been all about the the, the drugs it's been all about the women and let's do a track 
on, you know, on, on culture, or let's do a track on how we can bring something positive. You know, let the people see that side of you because it's there. They're artists. They're writers. You know, let the people see that side of you. And once that side starts to come out, it's a different kind of feeling, and something happens. So it could sway, you know, switch the, the pendulum back to the other side just to bring some balance. That's all. Just bring just some bring balance. balance. Yeah, balance. Yeah. yeah. And the last song, It's Necessary. Yeah, last song, Necessary. That song is really about a concept in the comedic systems called the Heru set. And that's what we've heard of the yin and the yang. And yeah, it's the, it's the balance of everything. And, and that song is really just, I'm trying to um, express how important it is to know that when something happens like a, a riot or a revolution and people lose their lives it wasn't in vain because something happens after that you know as a result of that but that's the sacrifice that was made and I think that notion of sacrifice as well is something that um, we all have different understandings and even possibly different definitions for what sacrifice means you know, and it's different levels of sacrifice. Um, but if we um, understand that there's a balance that must be maintained, that balance is what allows for life to be. That's what allows for harmony to exist. It's that balance. So when we, when we, you know, I mentioned in the song, you say somebody broke your heart. Okay, it was necessary mm -hmm. because now I gave you a fresh start. Now, you know, you can... It's like getting another chance to make better decisions, you know, another chance to follow what your destiny led you to to do instead of maybe putting yours to the side to be with someone. I mean, that's just a loose example of what I'm saying. Well, and it's a message kids don't get. I'm speaking of what's being taught children, youth. It's Absolutely. It's a message you don't get. It's like, oh, something bad happened and, you know, it's the end of the world versus yeah. this. Yeah, is universal yeah. wisdom, which yeah. is we have these lessons. It's, an opportunity. It's, yeah. an, opportunity it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to grow. But when you think you already know, you kill your ambition to learn. And that's something that we struggle with, especially adults and, you know, the older people who have been experienced in different aspects of, of life. You know, we sometimes think we know something when we really don't. And we, you know, it's difficult to humble ourselves um, to learn and go through that process of learning. Because you never stop learning. You're going to learn until the day your eyes close for good. So, um, yeah, the youth, that's something that I really want to push and push and push on them. The same way that they've been pushing, you know, and spewing, you know, these other aspects of the society. I want to push on them those things, you know. There's a lesson in everything. You know, there's no, you don't win. You either win or you learn. You don't lose. You, <laughs> you win either win or you, or you learn. learn. Yeah. This is Conscious Youth Global Network Radio, and we're here with Vic Bai and Nejnama, and we're talking about the wisdom that he has to share with people through his music. And I want to direct people to CD Baby and iTunes, right, for your music. And um, tell us again the titles that you just sang. Um, well, those those titles are not on um, iTunes yet. Um, the only track that I have on iTunes now is a song called New Day. And I also have a video for that. If you just go to YouTube and put in Big Bye, New Day. And it's B-I-K-B-A-Y-E, New Day. And I have another um, video up on YouTube called Know Your Past. If 
just put in Big Bye, Know Your Past. But New Day is on iTunes also. The music that um, I did tonight um, is something that I just wanted to share with our audience. And I'm in the... So pre-release. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just wanted to share that with our audience, and that'll be available on iTunes as well, and we'll keep them up to date on future shows. We will. And if you haven't heard it, New Day is a fantastic song, and the New Day video will uplift anyone at any time of the day or Thank night. It's very inspirational. So, so uh, look up New Day by Big Bye on. Um, YouTube as soon as possible. Yeah, YouTube and um, iTunes. You can and, iTunes. And iTunes. Um, so I just want to mention for our, our audience, among his many talents and modesty, um, you also know how to write and, and you teach hieroglyphics. Yeah, well, um, my teaching is not on the same level as I was maybe a year and a half ago because I'm doing so many other things. And um, um, I'm not in the uh, with the same organization in the same capacity. Um, I was spending my whole all my days was based around teaching the language of the Mandu Nether, which most people know as the hieroglyphics of ancient Egypt. That's a language that we were taught in the initiations, and um, it's still being taught. So I was able to contribute to those teachings. Um, how to speak it, how to read it, how to write it, uh, which was something that, you know, was interesting because as you're learning it, it's having an effect on your brain. You know, it's a very powerful language. And it's a language of very strong vibration. So even the spiritual activities and the, um, the mantras um, and the hekaos are very powerful, the vibrations, and it stimulates certain parts of the brain. And this is one of the reasons behind the persecution that followed um, those who continued to speak the language when those areas were invaded because the, the language is powerful. Word, sound, mm-hmm. power. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was um, something that I learned and I still, I'm still maintaining it now. And um, um, I teach, you know, the kids, you know, just, you know, every now and then. I give them a word here and a word there and they still remember it. So tell us what your name means. Um, Big Bai, my first name, Big Bai, it means servant of Bai. Um, Big means servant. And Bai um, is one of the comedic deities um, of the senses. And my last name, Inej Nima, it means defender of truth. So Big Bai, Inej Nima. Awesome, awesome. So, so you've actually brought the energy and the vibration of the hieroglyphics into your music. I mean, you don't... You say some words, actually, in, in your music, but you're bringing the energy and, and healing into your music. Is that your intention? Well, I think, absolutely. And I think that's the intention behind um, everything that we're doing with CYG and Conscious Youth Global Network. Um, we are out to heal through education, through music, through the arts, but healing is the ultimate goal. 